What is up? Happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome to the Longhorn live stream on the On Texas Football channel. Aaron Hogan, CJ Vogel, and the lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers covering you for the next hour plus with your questions and conversation on all things Texas football coming off of uh, the end of the college football season last night. Obviously, unfortunately, uh, next eight months will be a lot of talking and conversation and roster construction and everything else uh, in between. It'll be a transformative year in 2024, uh, safe to say, with the uh, end of the 14 playoff, uh, the addition of the 12-team playoff, uh, new conference looks in the SEC, the Big Ten, uh, the Big 12, the ACC. So much will change into 2024. We'll look back at the game last night uh, with Michigan and Washington and certainly look forward to what's to come immediately for the Longhorns and the big picture and we're looking forward to doing it with you here over the next hour. Plus, your questions and uh, Super Chats, always encouraged and exciting to have you with us. And, uh, guys, how are we doing uh, coming off the game last night? CJ, Rod, we ready to uh, talk some Texas football? Yes, sir. Let's get always. it going. <laughs> well, let's start with you, CJ. What's the latest? Uh, Longhorns had a couple of long of uh, transfer portal prospects in over the weekend. Uh, a wide receiver and a defensive tackle. There's also another wide receiver that's on the radar screen. Uh, what are you seeing as far as the uh, immediate portal conversation surrounding Texas football? Yeah, this past week, weekend, Texas hosted Liberty wide receiver C.J. Daniels as well as Houston defensive tackle Jamari Caldwell, both of which have been kind of pinned and pointed at right now by the Texas staff as key immediate uh, you know, possible options for the Texas 2024 roster construction clearly Texas is losing a lot at both positions at wide receiver with a number of wide receivers opting to go to the NFL, as well as the defensive line with Devondre Sweat, Byron Murphy opting to go to the league and Troll Carter now uh, having committed to Auburn out of the NCAA transfer portal as well. So a nice little landing spot for him, but Texas has uh, pinned or, you know, is, 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 le- is already looking for big time uh, returner kind of, Production coming from these guys uh, out of the transfer portal right now. C.J. Daniels is that guy right now. Silas Bolden, the wide receiver out of Oregon State, is who they have coming in this weekend as well. A different type of wide receiver than C.J. Daniels. Uh, Bolden's only about 5'8", 5'8 5'9", in that range. Very quick, very fast. He's an electric wide receiver with the ball in his hands. Uh, but there is a consistent theme there, and that's develop or that's production, uh, something that Texas needs Um out of the wide receiver position immediately in 2024. They don't have a lot of it right now. I think uh, only about 19% of their returning wide receiving stats are coming back for 2024 from the roster uh, this past year. So a lot going on. Uh, Texas is also having talks with the linebacker, former Alabama linebacker Kendrick Blackshear in terms of coming in for a visit as well. He has an Ole Miss visit locked in right now. Uh, per on three. So a lot going on in the portal. And of course, depending on what Jade Barron does as well, there could be a defensive back movement as well. Uh, but for now, uh, everything's set on the defensive line and, and wide receiver. Uh, Rod, we've talked about it on our show in the morning on the Horn FM and, uh, you know, the receiver position. It, you know, Sark runs a, 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 he wants to run the football. He's always had a thousand yard rusher, but it's a, it's a pass based offense. And next year, coming back with a third year starting quarterback in Quinn yours, uh, you've got to have quarterback receiver chemistry. You got to have guys uh, that, that you can work with. And, you know, I think there's a high ceiling for guys like Jonte Cook and DeAndre Moore. And, um, you know, Ryan Niblett is another guy that they like a lot at receiver. Um, but, but, but you got to have some guys and some, as, as uh, uh, CJ said, some dudes who have played. And uh, played high level. The kid from Liberty played a lot of football. He's a 22-year-old veteran who had over a thousand yards this year, 21 uh, yards a catch, 10 touchdowns. C.J. Daniels, and then Silas Bolden, 
Uh, different type of player, kind of a water bug looking dude, kind of a you know, remind you of Kevondre Turpin when he was at TCU, just small but super fast, uh, returning punts potentially, and also a receiver. Uh, as you and I talked about, it, it wouldn't be uh, if they could get him, the law wouldn't be behind, beyond the Longhorns to take both of those guys on top of Matthew Golden coming in from Houston. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Longhorns are obviously losing a lot at wide receiver. You got Two players left be the transfer port, Isaiah Nayer and Casey Kane. And, and of course, Jay Witt leaving X-Man, uh, A.D. Mitchell uh, as well, being reported to be declaring for the NFL draft. So you not only need, um, you know, proven commodities. That's what they're trying to bring in with C.J. Daniels, potentially. Matthew Gold is more of a proven commodity. Uh, but you also uh, need a variety of receivers. That's what I liked about the receiving core of this past season, right? You had great variety. You had A.D. Mitchell, your 50-50 guy, who, a great red zone threat, touchdown maker. You had Jay Witt, who could uh, almost do a lot of the dirty work, could work the short game, the quick game, your screens, uh, the quick tags on the RPOs. And then you had X-Man, pretty much your number one do-it-all wide receiver. You can change it up, but also could be the speed demon to stretch uh, the field, take the top off the defense. You had a lot of variety with that receiving core. I think Sartre likes that ability, has that fluidity, a lot of versatility in the wide receiving core. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see who ends up cracking that circle of trust I talk about. I, and I was talking to Bobby about this. You know, I, I do think Sark is willing to expand his circle of trust with wide receivers here at Texas. It's been a pretty tight rotation, three guys, maybe four guys. Um, but at Bama, I mean, when he had four first-round wide receivers, guys he trusted that earned that trust, yeah, he ran 10 personnel at times, called it the red package, four wide receivers on the field at the same time. Now, they were four first-round wide receivers, but they had earned Sark's trust. So I think it ought to be about who, which one of these wide receivers can earn his trust early on. And I like the fact that, and I think Sark likes the fact that this guy, C.J. Daniels, is a what fifth-year senior, a lot of experience, productivity. That's what they're looking at in the transfer portal. Anytime there's a guy with just potential in the portal, I don't, I don't really see Sark and his team um, really targeting those guys heavily. I see them targeting players who've already produced just because they were a five-star coming out of high school, blue chip coming out of high school. I don't think that matters as much coming out of coming out of uh, into the transfer portal because what they want is productivity over potential. Uh, and that's what they like, I think, about C.J. Daniels is the fact that guy's already been a 1,000-yard receiver. Matthew Golden, hell, he proved it even against Texas. He's a guy that's proven it on the field. Uh, even if Silas Bolden is a guy that you talk about, if that's the guy that bring it in, uh, at least he's already got it under his belt, you know, a year where he's proven himself as a return guy, as a receiver at Oregon State. So I think that's what they're looking for. It's going to be interesting, man, because the passing game, I don't know if there's a position – being hit as hard defensive backfield for different reasons though defensive back not the front line guys though you're losing a lot of your depth at db uh with wire with wide receiver in the passing game period including j throwing jt in there you're losing a ton of your front line target share all of your elite playmakers are leaving you got a lot of upside a lot of potential with those guys behind them but that's just you know right now that's that's unproven that's uncertain yeah uh well said and uh it is interesting, and obviously Silas Bolden and C.J. Daniels, totally different types of players, but could be useful. Hey, C.J., when you look at, uh, you know, I, I, it reminds me of last year at this time, this was the conversation surrounding running back, right, that uh, with Bijan and Roshan and all those carries, all that production, all that leadership off to the NFL, who was going to fill the void? And, you know, we didn't know at the time that Jonathan Brooks was going to be nearly as good as he became. Uh, now he's the guy who's off to the NFL draft, C.J. Baxter. As a freshman, also came in and uh, really filled a role. Jaden Blue emerged late in the year after the, the Jay Brooks injury. Uh, which receiver currently, not even the portal guys, but of the the current on on roster guys, the Jonte Cooks, 
Um, you know, DeAndre Moore, which one do you think has the the best chance to become an elevate to become a go-to guy if you had to pick one? It, it's got to be Jonte Cook. I mean, he comes in, you know, as highly touted as any wide receiver Texas has landed, you know, since, you know, basically Brew McCoy, who was on campus for no more than a cup of coffee and, and, and you know, a, a insomniac cookie down the road. So there, <laughs> he wasn't here too long, but that's that five-star caliber wide receiver that Texas hasn't necessarily seen a lot of production from aside from Xavier Worthy. So it's got to be him. He's got to be that guy to take that next step and fill the shoes in which, you know, there's going to be a lot of steps, you know, for him to take. You know, I, I think there's a lot of room for him to grow into this Texas offense. And I, I kind of look at it for Steve Sarkeesian as a test to go out, find a wide receiver that he liked out of college or out of high school and and now see him grow and develop into his system. Xavier Worthy was that guy, but more so by trial and fire because Texas needed him immediately his freshman season. Now you can kind of go back and, and say, all right, we can kind of pick the fruits of our labor. We, we, we have Xavier Worthy out here. He was kind of the big attraction, one of the guys that we could point to on our roster at the time and say uh, to all these wide receiver prospects that we were recruiting, hey, you can come be just like him. Well, now it's time. The opportunity is here for those guys that you recruited to be on campus to go be just like Xavier Worthy or A.D. Mitchell or Jordan Whittington. I, it's time to see that. And so for Chris Jackson and Steve Sarkeesian, the big challenge this offseason is to be getting these guys developmentally ready for game game time, extended game time at that. Yeah, Matthew Golden you. coming in is great. Whether or not they add Silas Bolden or C.J. Daniels or even Dorian Springer, a guy out of Arizona who – uh, or USC that we've talked about very briefly in the past as well. That's great. Portal wide receivers are, 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 are very good for programs, but you have to be able to, to show that you can develop these high school kids and get them on the field and be, you know, plus wide receivers. Otherwise that well will eventually dry up because other teams will sit back and, and point around and say, yeah, you know, I mean, they have a good offense, but they're not never going to throw to the high school kids they recruit. So yeah. that's got to be the next step right here for Steve Sarkeesian, not only for 2024, but beyond that, because that narrative will become a thing. It became a thing with Lincoln Riley and quarterbacks and wide receivers when he was at OU. Now you're seeing it at USC as well. His quarterbacks that he develops, who's to say Caleb Williams isn't better than what he was as a freshman? Who's yeah. to say that his best quarterbacks were guys that he didn't just take out of the portal? You know, there's there's a mantra there that sticks with certain coaching staffs and positions and for Starkeesian, with how important his wide receivers are, this is a big year for his wide receivers to take that next step, and it's got to start with with Jonte Cook. Uh, Rod Babers, he, um, you know, great uh, CJ with some great points there, and I was putting a spreadsheet together today of uh, kind of the the roster moving forward, and it's safe to say when you see it in black and white, this is Sark's team. Like as you as you transition out of the guys that are leaving, the guys that have moved off into the portal, uh, this is Sark's. These are all guys Sark and this staff have recruited. Uh, which is, you know, you hope is a good thing. That's what you want. You want your your roster of guys. Uh, but Chris Jackson's the receivers coach, as CJ mentioned. Uh, he's kind of handpicked out of the NFL. Sark was patient, waited on him last year for Jacksonville to finish up their playoff run. Uh, you know, early indications are good uh, of what he can be as a coach and a, and, a, and a developer of players. But, you know, I think CJ's right. I mean, this is an important, you know, whether it's the portal guys and Matthew Golden and possibly others, Jonte Cook, uh, even a guy like uh, Ryan Wingo. Coming in as a five-star kid out of St. Louis, uh, that 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 the, the the development of that position, much like we saw with Jonathan Brooks last year, running back under Tashard Choice, becomes very pivotal 
in the Longhorns' first season in the SEC. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree with you. It's interesting that um, you know the wide receiver position has had the most turnover, right, of all the coaches too, right? Andre Coleman, Brendan Marion comes in, he gets hired, uh, and you know now you have Chris Jackson in there, so they've actually had a lot of turnover. This will be the first time they've had some stability there from year to year with the wide receiver uh, coaching position. It starts all about continuity. Uh, that's one of the few positions where, you know, some stuff out of his control where you just had a lot of uh, turnover. But getting back to the the point, um, I agree with you. I think this is exactly what the running backs went through uh, last season, and they were great. Uh, Jonathan Brooks, that was very little regression in the running game. Uh, to short charge proven, he's one of the best coaches in the country. So when, And I would say this about Sark. Sark works really hands-on with the wide receivers too. I mean, he is he's really hands on with that group um, because of the, the specificity right in the direction and detailed about the route running and the timing of the routes. Uh, so it's interesting with that. That's why a group is except like you got to earn his trust with that group because he works so well with them. He's not putting nobody out there in this uh, in his group of wide receivers that he doesn't believe can consistently um, make the plays and also guys who are consistently going to be assignment sound. So if he's observing you in practice, cause he works with that group a lot, you know, not dropping balls and, you know, not creating separation and, you know, not uh, seeing the right side adjustments, then you ain't going to play. And the guys who do it really well, they play. And that's why like I said, that circle is tight. It's only three or four guys. And that's really been the case for Sark um, recently as a play caller. And I'm hoping that that could expand a little bit. But that's more, that's mostly on the players as I don't Sark. Sark only going to play the guys that he likes. And this year is really interesting because, you know, he really liked 12 personnel. He still does. I mean, he says tight end is the second most important position in his offense behind, um, you know, behind quarterback. But, you know, even when the wide receivers, let's say two years ago, when you didn't have an A.D. Mitchell, uh, but all you had was an X-Man and a Jay Witt and an inconsistent Casey Kane, um, it, it still was something he had. He had tight ends that he kind of trusted. With the with the tight ends that he's been bringing in, JT Sanders mostly, but also Gunnar Helm and how Gunnar Helm has played. But interesting to see this year if the wide receivers don't, if they don't, if they don't develop in time, he doesn't see that progression early enough. What he does because I don't know if he'll be able to supplement the twelve personnel in there, one back, two tight ends, the way he did so comfortably when you had a JT Sanders and a Gunnar Helm. Gunnar Helm still good in there, but now it'll be but Juan Davis as that other tight end. If that's the case, I don't know if that gives you the advantage that you think that you once had with a JT and a gunner helm in there. So, you know, the, the personnel is going to be interesting if that wide receiver room doesn't step up and we don't see them have that, you know, as you're talking about that progression and development overall, then what is start going to do to supplement that production? You go yeah, more that sets, you go more 12. That'll be interesting. Yeah. Well, on this conversation of wide receivers, I actually got a good tweet and I wanted to you know kind of fit this in here real quick, Aaron. Uh, I got a good tweet from it about it this morning because I was talking about how much Texas is losing from the wide receiver, you know, position. It's something that's giving me a little bit of pause when you see these too early top 25s and Texas is up there at two or three. And it's I'm sitting back thinking that's great. They, they got a they have the offensive line coming back. That's great. But that wide receiving position is, is a bit of a question mark. It's going to be a big concern. Well, I got a I got a tweet from Coach, uh, I think it's Coach Wilson at 619 over on Twitter, told me, well, the wide receivers elevated the play of Quinn Ewers. Next year, in year three of the system for Quinn Ewers, it's going to be his job to elevate the play of the wide receivers. 
And that absolutely has to be the case in my eyes because you're in year three under Steve Sarkeesian. You're behind a, a completely returning offensive line again. It has to be Quinn Ewers who is living up to that number one player in the country, uh, you know, billing to say, all right, now here we go. Got to get you, uh, th- get these wide receivers up to speed and it starts with me. That's got to be Quinn Ewers' next jump that we see in 2024. Great point. Totally yeah. agree. Yeah, that's a great point. That really is. And the coach on the tweet. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is that time, right? Third year quarterback, a veteran offensive line, a running ba- running game, and a stable of backs that should you should be able to lean on. That, that that's that's a good building block, right? That, that's kind of what you would want. And hopefully, the receivers come along. But uh, to Rod's point, uh, you're you're not just replacing receiver production, but also JT Sanders, who's the most dynamic tight end that the program has seen in more than a decade, uh, who, who's a, a matchup problem and a nightmare. Uh, the Juan Davis thing was weird over the weekend that he jumped in the portal and jumped back out. Uh, he and Helm are likely your your go-to uh, tight ends. While we're on this conversation, we got a great uh, question and super tweet or a, a question here. Does Wingo start as a freshman given he's an early enrollee? He's in line to be the Mitchell replacement, not as big but much faster. See, that's a great question for you because you saw Ryan Wingo in person down in San Antonio this past weekend. Listen, I, I, I'll I, beat the drum until I can't anymore, but starting super young freshman players is not something I'm, a, I'm very fond of. I like getting them into the rotation, but, you know, at, at playmaking positions, it's something that gives me a little bit of pause. Uh, with Ryan Wingo, obviously, we talked about the raw tools, the, the physicalness, the speed, the size, everything that you want is there. Can he get up to speed as fast as possible? That's going to be big this spring. If Texas goes out and lands C.J. Daniels, I see him as that third uh, wide receiving uh, starter right next to Jontae Cook and Matthew Golden as well. That's not to say Ryan Wingo won't be on the field, but I'm taking the veteran production over Ryan Wingo, the the, the true freshman, anytime I can. Uh, but I, I do think he will see the field. I was very impressed with him down in San Antonio. He was a, a man amongst boys in terms of – uh, creating separation and, and just being open as often as he could, as often as he was, he was tremendous down there in San Antonio. I think he'll see the field. How much we'll see after spring football. Well, Rod, I think it brings us full circle back to the start of this conversation about wide receivers and the Longhorns bringing in as many as, as maybe at least two more receivers and in, in, at least trying to uh, and Silas Bolden and CJ Daniels. You just don't know, right? If you're Sark, you, you stay up nights thinking, yeah, Ryan Wingo's talented, Jonte Cook's talented. You just don't know how these players – you played the game, Rod. They're playing in the SEC. They're playing Michigan this year. Uh, how does a young guy react to the ebbs and flows and the roller coaster of a first year, the physicality of playing high-level college football? Uh, and, and you got to know what you're getting. And that's why in the portal they're looking for dudes that have played and produced and played in high level. Even even a guy like C.J. Daniels, he played at Liberty – uh, but he, he had a, played Oregon, had a great game against Oregon. He's played high-level competition. You as a coach and Chris Jackson or Sarg know that. You know they've been there. They've done that. Uh, that, that you know, those guys can come along, but they don't have to come along. It doesn't determine your passing game, essentially. And you want a little of both, I think, if you're, if you're a coaching staff, if you can get them. Yeah, because, uh, you know, those guys who are proving commodities, they give you a little margin for error in developing yeah. that position with those young guys. As you pointed out, I mean, with the young guys, they're, you know <laughs> – they're, they're, they're freshmen, right? So like, anything could happen. First of all, I'm going to knock on wood here. I got some, but hell, injuries could pop up. I mean, that's – that, anybody remember when Troll Mary was basically going to be the starting wide receiver as a freshman in, coming in training camp, and then injuries popped up, and it was like, what happened to Troll Mary? Well, injuries. 
<laughs> that's that's a lot of football, right? So injuries could be a part of that. Uh, look at C.J. Baxter, right? C.J. Baxter is a great talent, but he doesn't have that armor yet. So he gets nicked up a lot, right? Because the physicality, the level of play is a little bit more competitive, is, is a little bit higher. And, and when he gets hit every now and then, he gets nicked up. That's that's not because, you know, he can't handle uh, the physicality. It's not because um, he's an injury-prone player. It's because he doesn't have the body armor yet. He hadn't gotten the weight room, uh, not an offseason with the strength and conditioning coaches, nutrition, dietitian, all that kind of stuff. And that's something only a, a, what a freshman has to deal with. Uh, there's a freshman wall guys hit. Freshmen also have to acclimate and adapt to being a student athlete, right? They also <laughs> got to go to class. There's NIL obligations. So these guys had to spending a little bit as a freshman. In addition to learning all the plays, making sure that you're putting in enough work, uh, the consistent work to be a great player in the weight room, training room, in the film room. I mean, that's a lot of obligations on a young freshman. So I, I usually I agree with CJ. There are prodigies. Because prodigies are prodigies, right? When you have a prodigy in school, what do you do? You skip them up a grade. Like, hey, man, we got to have this this prodigy. We got to challenge them. It'll bring out the best in these prodigies. So when you do have a prodigy, then they usually they need to play early. I'm all about that. We had, you know, Robbie. I wasn't a prodigy. I was just a real. I was a good player. So I played. That play probably started four games, three, four games, something like that, as a freshman, right? And then I started as a sophomore. That's usually the track you want. That's what CJ's talking about. Have some time to acclimate, adapt ease them into that role sometimes man when you got a prodigy and you need them if they're if they're good enough they're old enough so it all depends if ryan wingo comes in there and he's out there doing texas starting dbs dirty all right you know what if you're good enough you're old enough let's put him that with xavier worthy xavier worthy went out there and he was dusting texas dbs like why the hell are we gonna put him on the bench he's like yeah. why do we got and he's he's making our starting dbs look bad in practice that guy's in he's starting yeah. So I, if Ryan Winkle comes in and he, he's got that type of, you know, performance and he's showcasing that kind of ability, then, yeah, he's going to get – I think they'll expedite his development yeah. a little bit. And they should. Kelvin, they should. Kelvin Banks, Anthony Kelvin Hill, Banks. Muhammad, kind of the same thing. Uh, yeah. but you, cool. But, and you can't – and, CJ, you, can, yes. you yes. can't count on that. But that's – I mean, this is something that, that, you know, in any level of, you know, football or any organization, you can't count on that. You can't – that's why you want both, right? That's why you want to recruit at a high level, but, you know, insurance policies. You know, C.J. Daniels, who's played five or four years of football at Liberty, uh, you know, Silas Bolden, you want those guys available. And maybe next year the receiving core looks a little bit more like the back defensive backfield where they rotate a little more. You just don't know. Um, Sark doesn't like to do that. I get it. But at the same time, uh, maybe at least early in the year, you, you, you kind of mix and match until – you figure out how it plays out because, as Rod just said, you just don't know. Because, Rod, in addition to uh, the more physical thing, you haven't been in the weight room in college football, the, the nature of college football. There's all those pretty girls, too. There's all those pretty oh, girls. Yes. And that's a distraction, too, you know? <laughs> yeah, even, oh, man, that's the biggest distraction. That's bigger than – that distracts you more than the class or sometimes even more than the film room needs to. Can I get an amen? Yeah, yeah, all those pretty girls, and it's like, wow, this isn't like high school anymore. What is going on over here? Sometimes y'all like, what happens to that really good player, man? He came in as a five star. He he he's still he's still a five star, just with the pretty girls away from the football field. He's distracted. Amen. Yeah, amen. Yeah. Well, you just never know. But that's why I think more the merrier at that position for sure, uh, as the offensive side of the ball is a you know it's a concern without a doubt. I think I think as you said it, CJ, it's the you know, the, the the way too early preseason polls are silly, but they're good conversation starters. But I do like that they're starting with us with a what should be a high level offensive line, a third year quarterback and a running back room that's that's really deep and adding to it. 
And now what you got to figure out is the passing game. Who's going to catch those passes from a third-year quarterback? No doubt about it. Let's flip over to the defensive side. Uh, you mentioned Jade Barron, CJ. Um, what's the latest there? Rod and I have talked about this quite a bit on our morning show. Um, he's the one. I mean, you're waiting on CJ or, or, or CJ. You're waiting on Jade Barron to make a call. Uh, we know, kind of know who's moving on. We assumed CJ that uh, Jade was going to go to the pros. Where are we on this? Because as Rod and I have talked about, Andrew Makuba and he were friends in high school. One went to Austin LBJ, one's at Pflugerville. Uh, they're now kind of when, when Andrew Makuba came for his visit from Clemson in the portal, uh, it was Jade that hosted him. Uh, is there a chance those two want to play together in the secondary? And does Jade want to kind of try to improve his draft stock with a, a secondary that, that would include Derek Williams and you know Terrence Brooks and Manny Muhammad, plus these uh, freshmen that are coming in? What's the latest on Jade Barron? Yeah, I, I would ex- expect it probably around mid-year. It's almost a guarantee that John A. Barron was going to depart for the NFL. Uh, as the weeks have gone on and the season has wound down, it's kind of been more of a topic of conversation for John A. Barron and his camp, given that he wasn't entirely healthy throughout the duration of the season. I think that is really where some of the pause and, and really real now consideration is coming from of just how high of draft stock can you go if you're John A. Barron if you play an entire year fully healthy in the SEC. That's where this is coming from right now. <clears throat> it's nice having Andrew Makuba on campus, obviously, in that secondary. The versatility is going to allow Texas to be, you know, really to be able to do as much as they want with Makuba, with, with Derek Williams, with Michael Taft, with the two cornerbacks out wide. If Jade Barron comes back to that room, there's no telling just how wide open and free that – uh, Texas secondary can get. And I think that's very encouraging. I had it at 50-50 that John A comes back over the weekend. Right now I'm starting to lose a little steam. I'm not ready to say that it's a foregone conclusion that he does the part for the NFL. It's still in consideration. We're still awaiting a, a, a true decision before January 15th, the deadline for the NFL draft. But right now I'm not ready to say uh, that you know he's leaning one way or the other. I'm just starting to lose probably down to 45% on, a, on terms of coming back for John A. Barron. So a little bit of lost steam, not a whole lot, nothing too significant, but uh, that is the case right now. Uh, I, I do think a year coming back for John A. would help the draft stock tremendously. Like I said, being fully healthy, uh, there were times this year where John A. was picked on just a little bit when, when going vertically down the field. Uh, that's really where teams started picking at him just a little bit. We talked about it against Oklahoma State. Uh, Isaiah Bond and Alabama beat him against uh, man coverage week two going deep from a slot fade. Uh, and then Washington targeting 10 times, eight receptions. It was one of those games where it just didn't feel like he was there. Uh, I would say with the little springiness that we saw at times this year as well. But we know about his football intellect, his IQ. Rod, you talk about it all the time. He came to campus, wanted to become a defensive coordinator down the road. That's how special Jade Barron is between the ears. Uh, one team will take a, a, a you know a, a chance on him no, no matter what in the NFL draft. I think the question is how high can he go, uh, and will the measurables be there for the combine and the pro day? Yep, that that injury so it, it can scare a guy either way, right? It can scare him into going, man, I got to start getting paid for these reps. I had, had I was injured all damn la- all year last year. I need to get to the NFL as fast as possible. So that if I am injured and I got to deal with injuries, at least I can do it in the NFL, accomplishing my dream. Or 
the guys think, oh, man, my draft stock is so low because I played all season injured. I need to come back to school to improve my draft stock because right now I'm not going to get drafted anywhere close to where I projected myself to be. Um, I don't know where that has today. I'm with you. I think today Barrett could come back and definitely increase his draft stock. There's no question. Um, The question will be how much and is it worth it? Is it worth the risk of coming back and risk of injury? Because if you come back and then you get hurt again, then the draft size is going to drop even more. Right now, he's going to get drafted. There's no question. And depending on how he runs in the 40-yard dash, they'll they'll determine whether he gets drafted in, you know, third round or he drops all the way down to the fifth or the sixth round pretty much. But he's going to get drafted. I just think he's put enough stuff on film. Like you said, CJ, there's some scout out there thinking, oh, man, I love that that Jade Bear, man. He's a damn good player. If he's he's around, uh, you know, day three, we taking him. Um, So I I think he's okay in getting drafted-wise. Um, it's just like, does he have a dream of being, you know, a Thorpe Award finalist? Does he have a dream of being, you know, a second round pick? I don't know if he has those dreams or if he's like, no, I'm, I'm an NFL player and I believe it. I believe it too today. Um, where a guy gets drafted, that's usually based on, you know, that, that guy's got to talk to his representatives and they'll talk to scouts. They'll talk to NFL, you know, connections and determine, you know, where he is projected to be drafted. And then it'll be on him to make the decision. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Well said about uh, the the injury thing can be a double-edged sword. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. it's, man, I was hurt all year, so I didn't get to showcase, but, man, what if I come back next year and don't get hurt? I would add in there that that's where the NIL thing comes in, right? Especially for a local kid who's from Pflugerville, uh, who knows a lot of people in this area. They know him. Uh, there's an opportunity to make a little bread and make a little money while you're here. Uh, and Rod, you know this, the difference between a fifth round pick and a second or third round pick is a lot of money, uh, big yeah, picture. Yeah. Uh, and, and you can really develop, uh, and you and I have talked about this, with a buddy like yours, like Andrew Makuba, who's a versatile safety with a lot of experience with Derek Williams coming back. That can be a very versatile back end uh, in the safety position. With, if you throw Michael Taff into there, those guys, Makuba and Jade, to dig together with the other two I mentioned, that can be pretty dynamic uh, and maybe a chance to to really showcase the versatility that the NFL wants to see, Rod, and, and try to stay healthy for a year. Yeah, I I, I would cross-train them um, if I was the secondary coach. If I was Coach Gideon, Coach Joseph, PK in there, I would cross-train them. I would. And I'd, I'd be able to sell it to them pretty easy. I mean, you've shown the NFL you can play nickel. You've shown the NFL you can play corner. If you can play nickel, you can play corner. I mean, that just goes without saying. Not all outside corners can play nickel, but if you can play nickel, you can play corner on the outside. It's, trust me, it's easier. It's tougher to play that nickel uh, spot with the guys with a two-way go. The, the question is, can you play safety? And I think he can. 
I remember reading a quote from uh, Gary Patterson from my man uh, Chip Brown back in the day that said, Gary Patterson, like, oh, yeah, he definitely could play safety. And at times, and you saw this, CJ, because you mentioned it, when formationally uh, teams challenge Texas, uh, oftentimes like form- formation in the boundary, depending on the formation and strength of the formation, there are times when Jade Barron ends up playing field safety anyway because he doesn't travel in, in certain situations. We end up playing a field safety anyway, and you saw that more and more later in the season when teams started to try to manipulate Texas matchup-wise with different formations and, like, formation about your three-by-one sets. So I, I think he should come back and cross-train him, and I would move him around based on the matchups week to week. I know you want guys to get comfortable. I think he's the exception. I think he'd be comfortable anyway. I think he's comfortable at corner, comfortable at nickel. I think he'd be comfortable at safety as long as all week long we're practicing for that specific role that he's going to play based on the team we're going to play, the matchup, all that stuff. I'd move him around and make him a whole lot of money. I say, man, I'll put on film that you know most versatile DB in the country and you got the football IQ to prove it. Um, and that that's why I'll sell it to him to come back. Come back, man. I will. We'll get you in a Thorpe conversation just on versatility alone. We'll start putting out all the pro football focus numbers about how you move around. You're the ultimate chess piece for Texas. He's everywhere, man. You wait. You got to find your day. It's like where's Waldo? Blah blah blah, man. We'll sell it. I can sell that. Uh, to me, it's just about the sales pitch. Can they sell it to today with the NIL? As you mentioned, he's got to be the NIL. Got to be in there too. Now it's got to be a part of the package. But I think I can sell it to him to come back if they want. If they cross trained him. Now, maybe he don't want to be cross-trained. Maybe he's like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. Well, whatever he wants, you probably should be open to doing. <laughs> right? If he's coming back saying, hey, I want to do this, then you should be like, all right, you know what? Let's see if we can move some things around. If all you want to do is play nickel, all you want to do is play corner, then let's let's see if we can figure that out for Jade. Because he is, I think he is that much of a difference maker. You bring him back, that secondary to me is not going to be a liability. It possibly could be a strength. If you put Makuba in that secondary with Jaday Barron, with a young Derek Williams, then you're talking about all coverage specialists at your safety nickel positions and all guys who can play safety and nickel, making them interchangeable so that teams cannot hunt matchups for your, you know, matchup advantages in coverage at the safety position to me. And then that would essentially make you, it would make you more malleable, able to solve more problems that the offense will present to you because all of your three, your three, essentially I, I would call them three safeties, but they wouldn't, but those three defenders would be interchangeable. So teams would try to decide, Oh man, we're going to hunt. We're going to try to pick on this safety. Well, no, that safety is a nickel. <laughs> he can come down and pay coverage if we need him to. And all of our safeties would be like that. If you look at the recruiting class, it seems like that's the way they're going anyway. Yeah. yeah. Hey, to your point, Rob, Jabril Peppers. Remember his, uh, his his time at Michigan and how often we would see the tweets and the stats and the graphics of, you know, box, corner, safety, yes. field, edge even. I'm not saying Jade is going to line up at defensive end every now and then, but that's exactly <laughs> the hype that was yep. surrounding Jabril Peppers at the time. So I see it. I see the vision 100%. That's, that's a good, good example, CJ. Jabril, Jabril, Peppers ended, Jabril Peppers ended up like a Heisman candidate at some yeah. point for Michigan yeah. that year. <laughs> He yeah, also man. returned punts. He was a pretty good athlete. The power of marketing. The power of marketing. Amen, hey, listen, man. tonight's uh, tonight's live stream, we wanted to tell you about these. This is the power of marketing as well, but we appreciate them. Uh, the Tuesday live stream every week brought to you by Energy Texas. Energy Texas is for Texans by Texans. When Energy Texas becomes your energy provider, you're dealing with and calling people in the state of Texas, not back east, not overseas. Texans. 
Uh, they're proud to be from the great state and the greatest state in the union. Prouder to be fighting for the little guy against big power. It's Energy Texas who presents the On Texas Football Tuesday live stream. Aaron Hogan, C.J. Vogel, Rod Babers. Thank you, Energy Texas. Uh, all right, guys, stay on defense. That's great stuff on uh, on Jade, and we'll wait and see. If you're just, um, just tuning in, C.J. mentioned that over the weekend thought it was 50-50 for Jade staying. Um, now maybe not as confident, but uh, maybe he's listening and heard Rod Babers selling the pitch. Let's sell that pitch, man. Let's get man. that out there. We like Mad Men. Let's get that out there to Jade. <laughs> uh, I would love to watch this this secondary. And again, as someone who has covered uh, you know sports in Austin for 25 or 30 years, I would love to see Andrew McCuba and Jade Barron in the back end and just working together. That would be a lot of fun. It'd be like uh, harking back to days of you, Rod, when you're back there with your dudes, uh, you know Ahmad Brooks and uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know. The, the, those great set secondaries of the past uh, that I so much enjoyed covering. They were so, so darn good. Uh, Nathan Vasher and you and uh, Ahmad Brooks, just really yeah. good players, Yeah, but working together. And you talked about how with the, the synergy you have with those guys, you guys played together, worked together so long that, you know, you, you communicated like uh, non-verbally. You guys yeah. knew what you were doing. You, you knew what he was doing because you, you've seen him do it a million times. Yeah, Coach Akina, we call it, call it the hive mind. You guys have to be hive mind, hive minded out there. They got the hive, man. You know, he's hive minded. So everybody's seeing the same things and we're thinking the same things based on what we're seeing. And you're right. I mean, it helps when you're when you're good friends. We talked about this when Texas was rotating a lot of guys on defense. There are advantages to doing that, being fresher in the fourth quarter, getting reps for a lot of guys. So when frontline guys get hurt, hey, the backups, they're already, you know, they're already seasoned a little bit, right? They got some experience. They won't be shell-shocked by the experience of being a starter for the first time. But there are also some disadvantages, and I think one of them is you just don't have the continuity in the chemistry when you don't have those reps together. When you play with guys for, you know, the entire season with uh, most of those reps, 85 90% of those reps, and you do that over multiple seasons, and you guys are friends. That's what you're talking about, uh, E, is that, you know, Makuba and Jade Barron, they'd be hanging out. They'd, they'd be doing all that work at continuity and chemistry at practice, in the film room, in meeting room, uh, probably strength and conditioning at the workouts. And then they'd probably go hang out and kick it, all right, and go to dinner and still talk ball and go to the, the you know to the dorm room and kick it and still talk ball there. That's what was happening with our team. That's what's happening with this past team. I talked to Jalen Ford about that. This team would they they had think tank sessions away from the facilities. That's how you know you you're heading in the right direction with your culture. Um, so you're right. I I think if this if you have you know those guys in the second who've already played. Terrence Brooks played one year. Manny Muhammad was basically starting toward the end of the year. Jaday Barron's a seasoned vet at this point. May seen damn near everything you could see on a football field. Then you got McCubbin who started what three years at Clemson. Um, and then you'd have a young Derek Williams, but still last year got some some quality uh, reps last season. You'd have so much more experience. And I think those guys playing together, if they weren't rotating as much, I still think you want to rotate. But I think you need to you need to start letting your frontline guys play more like. 80 75 percent of those reps so i think because i think continuity and chemistry together i think with a, in a secondary i think the o-line is the only group that works better as a hive if you will hive minded than the defensive backfield and i think they're the only ones that's more important in terms of their chemistry and continuity as a group than the dbs because dbs essentially if you're watching at all 22 man dbs they should all be kind of working on strings you should almost be able to see the way that the, the coverage develops naturally. 
And I think with, with Texas, you start seeing a little bit of that later on in the season, not in the Washington game, but I'm talking about in the Tech game and at Oklahoma State game. I started to see some of that. I talked about how Texas coverage was a lot better. Those are the two best coverage games of the year was the yeah. last two of the year. Now when they faced the best quarterback and the most sophisticated passing game and three NFL wide receivers, that went all out the window. But there was improvement in that secondary, and I think it was when those young guys started, the light started to go off for them. Yeah, they're clearly changing the uh, the mindset and the philosophy of what type of player they want back there. But you told me this, Rod, that when you guys would come off the field, you guys would talk for you, even talk to Coach Keenan. Like you yeah. guys would say, what did you see there? What was that? What was going on here? I saw this. You saw that. And then, then Coach Keenan would come in and talk to you guys about it. I think that's the kind of kind of stuff you're looking for, and that's the culture where Texas is. Hey, uh, CJ, what about uh, up front? We talked at the top about the uh, the defensive tackle from Houston. Uh, there, you know, in addition to the receiver room and the DB room, which is, you know, overhauling and really transitioning uh, defensive tackle as well. Where are we with the uh, the youngster out of out of Houston? 325 uh, pounder, more of a Byron Murphy than a than a Tavondre Sweat, I think. But at the same time, had two sacks against Texas, very active on the interior. Where does that stand? Yeah, not many guys fit into that Tavondre Sweat 365, 369 pound no. role, like you said. So. But, hey, being Byron Murphy is not half bad either, and we're going to see just how early his name gets called off the board. But Jamari Caldwell is going to be down to Texas and Oregon right now uh, for his decision, as Bobby mentioned this morning on Coffee and Football. Texas did a good job hosting him for the one-day visit uh, this weekend here in Austin. He actually stayed overnight very briefly. Uh, but Texas, again, is pitching the the, the – Blatant need and desire for him to get on the field very early whenever he arrives down here in Austin, should he pick the Longhorns. And obviously, uh, moving into the SEC, competing at the highest level, going against the best competition in the entire country is only going to help a draft stock that is already in consideration to be pretty solid at the moment. Six and a half sacks. Uh, you don't normally talk about defensive tackles getting after the quarterback yeah. that often. He did a good job at it. Clearly, Texas is aware of how well he can rush the passer. As you mentioned, Aaron had two sacks against the Longhorns this season. Uh, but more of a true run fitter, uh, stopping the run is what he does. That's what Texas needs, having losing or having lost the to Vondre Sweat and Byron Murphy. He's, you know, a guy that fits an immediate hole. So I, I think, you know, the, the pitch is clear. The necessity is there. It's now up to Texas to win out uh, behind the scenes for uh, Jamar Caldwell. Yeah. What about David Benda? Uh, we'll get into the uh, the Aggie conversation. That's a great question by Sandman. But real quick, and then we'll get to the questions on the uh, the message line. Uh, CJ David Benda is a name that's that's interesting. People have kind of forgotten about him. He's available and able to come back and really be a veteran presence on that linebacker room that features a lot of young guys with a new linebackers coach and Coach Johnny Nansen. Uh, what's the latest on uh, David Benda? Yeah, I mean, I actually thought David Benden carved out a pretty nice niche role for him in this defense toward the second half of the year. Obviously, he was very impactful against Alabama as well early on. Right now, there's kind of a a, a, a waiting decision similar to what we've, we are currently seeing from Jade Barron right now with David Benda. Right now, I believe he will return to Texas. I do think he will come back for 2024. There's obviously been some rumors and murmurs that he might follow uh, Coach Choate out to Nevada as well. So that's something to monitor as well as a, uh, a potential NFL departure is in the cards as well. So a three-way go, a true three-way for David Benda right now. Texas will gladly have him back. They need linebacker depth. There's actually a reason, uh, one of the reasons why Kendrick Blackshear, the former Alabama linebacker, is uh, 
in conversations to visit Texas as well uh, this year or this upcoming weekend. But if Bender comes back, I actually don't know how much of a need Blackshear becomes because there's play styles have, uh, I would say, a varying degree of uh, approach to the linebacker position. So Benda obviously it is up to him to come back. I do think he does return for 2024. Wow, good stuff right there. And uh, one other note on the defensive side, Johnny Nansen's the new uh, linebackers coach. And, Rod, there are conversations, I've been told, between uh, Dwayne Aquina uh, and Texas uh, and CDC and Sark and the staff. Uh, I don't know if you've reached out to Coach Aquina or not, uh, but I have been told that there have been conversations. For folks who don't know, Johnny Nansen was the defensive coordinator at Arizona on that staff. Dwayne Aquina was a consultant slash defensive advisor. And there's some thought that maybe he could uh, move back to Austin and be a part of that in this role. There's no uh, hard, uh, you know, hard reporting on that. But I have been told there are conversations being had because of the relationship with Austin and the relationship with Coach Nansen. Uh, That obviously would be a big, uh, big development for Texas football if if Coach Dwayne Aquina were to return in whatever capacity that would be. Yeah, it just it makes too much sense, right? <laughs> um, you know, Coach Aquina, one of the, the godfathers of DBU, taught me everything I, I pretty much know about playing defensive back at a really high level. Uh, coach Gideon, safeties coach, also played foot, uh, played football under Coach Aquina, so he's well aware of Coach Aquina, has a great relationship with him. You just talked about Coach Nansen and their relationship going back to Arizona last season and Coach Aquina's love for the city of Austin. A lot of folks in this community, they know Coach Aquina really well, know his family really well. Uh, family ties to Austin also uh, just a genuine love for the community of Austin. So it just seems like it makes too much sense uh, why would you stay uh, analyst at Arizona when the defensive coordinator is leaving um, in a play caller? Why not either follow him, which is going to a familiar place? So I, I haven't talked to Coach Akina. I planned on letting things kind of settle down and reach out to him. I was hoping that the news would break uh, <laughs> before I even got a chance to reach out to him. That has not happened. Um, but I do know for a fact that he was interested um, potentially in, in, in coming to Austin when Sark originally got the gig and was building his staff. So, you know, I it, even though that was obviously uh, when he was coaching, now as an analyst, it'd be a different responsibility. But I think actually it may fit uh, Coach Aquino's personality a little bit better uh, right now as an analyst because I think he's at a point in his life where I'm not, I'm not sure he wants to be coaching, but I know he wants to be around the game. I know he loves being around, you know, young young athletes and, you know, obviously young football players. I know he likes to be around them to help inspire them. And Texas has – Past defense issues. They got secondary issues. That's why you pretty much lost the game versus Washington. And that guy knows how to fix secondary issues. Uh, you're trying to go into a more versatile uh, era of your secondary development. And that guy knows how to train a 5-2 DB. I was here when he did it. So I, I don't know. It just makes too much sense. If it doesn't happen, it would be a disappointment. And someone would have to give me a reason why. And yeah. maybe it's Coach Aquino who just doesn't want to do it, or maybe it's Texas who, you know, they just couldn't meet on money, whatever it may be. But it makes too much sense right now. Yeah, <laughs> it does. And, and I know Longhorn fans will be fired up uh, for Coach Aquino. And he's 67 years old now for folks who haven't looked it up uh, to that stage of his life where just coaching the game, coaching ball, being around kids. Gary Patterson talked about that, and he's, you know, 60 in his early 60s, that exactly. getting away from being the CEO of TCU football and just getting back to being around young people you know, running the early strength and development sessions, talking to kids, developing kids. You know, that's at the end of the day, CJ, that's what coaches love, right? That's what they got in it for. 
sometimes you can lose focus on that as you're building your career. Uh, but at that stage of his life, Dwayne Aquina, almost, you know, 60, you know, late 60s, what a role that could be to be back in Austin, Texas, potentially. Have you heard, have you heard anything on the Coach Aquina side of things? I've not. Nothing as as, as much as, as you guys have, but – uh, I, like Rod said, I mean, how big would it be for the Texas football program to see him back in burnt orange? It would be tremendous. I think it would be one of those things where he would just get ducks in a line and there wouldn't be anything out of order that you would see any funny business. You wouldn't see any type of, uh, you know, I don't want to say uncharacteristic, you know, uh, undisciplined football, anything along the lines of that. He's going to get that right. Uh, Akina, I mean, having grown up at the time in which he had everything growing, he was kind of the legend that behind the scenes that had this this wheel turning that was called DBU. And so should he be uh, a potential return in an analyst role, in an on-field role, whatever it might be, I, I would like to see it because I know having grown up, that was the guy that I looked at saying, yeah, he was the magic man. He, he made these guys, you know, <laughs> first and second round picks year in and year out, regardless of who was back there. So I, I, I would love to have him just in the building as a, as a, a voice to bounce off ideas and, you know, as much as Gary Patterson was there to talk about defensive backs, which is really kind of the strength and 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 one of the big things that made Gary Patterson as as notor, uh, you know, as as, as I don't want to say uh, infamous, but he's one of the best defensive back-minded coaches in the Big Twelve for a reason. That's why you know his impact and fingerprints on the Texas defense was. Uh, evidenced in 2022 when he was here for his, his one year. I would like to see that a little bit with Akina as well. Now, and let's remember, uh, Pete Kwiatkowski and Rod, you've talked about this and broken it down on our show in the Horn and certainly here on, on Texas football. You know, this this secondary and the defense is the last phase of the roster construction for Texas, right? Started with the big humans, the quarterback room, the speed that they had to have at receiver, running back room's been developed, uh, and the, then obviously the holdovers from the Tom Herman era have helped to uh, really develop and, and lead them to the, to the Big 12 championship this past year and a trip to the CFP. Uh, but Pete Kwiatkowski, when he got here, uh, you know, he's, he's known for running that 2-4-5 defense, right, when he was in Washington. Mm-hmm. Two big, sturdy defensive tackles yeah. to hold the point. Uh, and then the four linebackers, but obviously they're, they're hybrid players. They're either edge coming off for rushing. Uh, they can cover where they need to, but they're kind of hybrid players on the edges with linebackers that can cover and, and stuff the run and then five defensive backs. I mean, that's you kind of feel like as you watch them recruit now as they construct the roster, that's where Pete Kwiatkowski would like to get it to where the defensive backfield's being molded into what you guys have talked about, and Dwayne Aquino would be a huge asset there. Last year in the recruiting class of 2022, um, if I get my numbers right here, or 2023, it was very heavy linebackers, CJ. You know this, right? I mean, linebackers were huge where they brought, uh, you know, uh, Anthony Hill was the five-star linebacker and Darian Gallette and Samaje Burrell and Leona LaFau and all these guys that, you know, so now you bring and the edge players with Colton Vosick and Ethan Burke. And uh, here comes Colin Simmons. So you kind of see where they're going. They want two big point of attack tackles, and then they want versatile hybrid and something you like, Rod, a lot, positionless football guys mm-hmm. that can do a lot of different things at that second level. And then in the back end, you want, you know, five-tool DBs who can disguise and cover and run and support all those things. You kind of see where this is going. If you're kind of an architect and seeing what, what PK is doing to match what Sark is doing on the offensive side. Am I wrong about that? No, my man, he, he, no, that's exactly what he's, what they're doing. It's just, you only have so many acquisition cycles to, 
to acquire talent and start being an offensive guy, he prioritized the offense, which makes perfect sense. I mean, you can pick a phase, you can pick offense or defense, but um, he picked offense and they did a great job of building the offense. And the key is you want to almost, you want to start building kind of a pipeline, right? Because you anticipate guys performing at a high level and leaving. And so once it's all, uh, Tom Herman had a great uh, quote about, you know, building the offensive line and constructing the offensive line, you treat it like the golden gate bridge, kind of like when you, but you know, by the time you're done repainting the golden gate bridge, you got to start all over again. All right. <laughs> and I think he was talking about each compared to O-line facilities, different things, but I think that's how you have to approach roster construction overall period. You know, by the time you're done building a position, you got to come back around to it. Like, uh, I don't know, two or three acquisition cycles later. Um, after you really address it, after you infuse it with a lot of young talent, did that on the old line. The old line is good for a while because you had a lot of veterans also coming back. And I, they actually did it with you said the, with wide receiver. Recently, they're starting to do it because I think they realize they're going to lose all those wide receivers. So they're going to start them start to rebuild that as well. Oh, because we got an announcement here. There Boom. it is. Look at Matt. Look at news on it. David Bender. Making you prophetic, CJ. You think he thought he was coming back? I will be returning to UT. David Benda with a nice uh, nice letter and note. Uh, well written, it looks like right there. And uh, that's pretty awesome. David Benda will be back to help anchor that defensive uh, that defensive linebacker that's position. Big. That's good. That's big time. But, you know, sixth-year player uh, has gotten better and better as the years have gone on and really carved out a nice role. Nice job, CJ. Good call. Rod, and finish that thought on uh, – you know, building the building. The, we see where it's going. We see where it's going. They want, uh, you know, you're, you're a football theorist, Rod, uh, theorist. Uh, what does that mean to you when you're talking about, you know, you want the, the sturdiness in the in the middle on the interior? And we've seen that. But then, you know, positionless football type players on the edges and a linebacker. And then, you know, same thing in the defensive backfield, which makes you multiple. Uh, we saw it with Michigan last night, I thought. I mean, Michigan. They got a lot of guys that can cover, they can run, they can disguise. They all look the same, right? At the end of the day, a lot of those guys look look like the other guy, uh, and that makes you very difficult to uh, to move the football against. Yeah, I mean, Sark, they're going to build this defense on certain principles and traits, and speed's going to be one of them. Uh, versatility is going to be another one of them. Coverage, uh, and then they want to be able to rush the passer. Sark wants to play man-to-man. Uh, when you play man to man, you don't really hide it. Everybody knows what you're doing. You're playing man coverage, and you assume your guys are better than theirs, and you're going to win that one on one matchup. So that, it's it's a uh, it's something that it's a luxury that Texas can can afford, where they can just recruit the best guys, the best players at the top positions, develop those players into being high level, uh, elite, conf- all conference NFL draftable uh, players, and then you can recruit certain traits and turn those into almost foundational. Um, like principles that your defense is built on. I think Texas wants to be built on speed. They didn't have enough speed in the back end this year. That was pretty obvious. They need more speed. So they're recruiting speed. Uh, they're recruiting versatility because I think they want guys who are, who make their defense malleable, being malleable, being positionless. It just, it gives you the ability to solve more problems. Uh, rigidity. That's what gets you in trouble in football. When you're too rigid, you only got one way to do things. You want multiple ways to do it. So I, I, it's it's pretty obvious where the defense is going. They, they're ahead of schedule. They went to the college football playoff. That's great. But when you're ahead of schedule, it also means you're going to have some holes in your roster. The holes in your roster is because you haven't fully addressed every phase and every position in roster construction because you just haven't had enough time to do it. This cycle was your defensive back cycle. 
if they had been on a different track and they weren't ahead of schedule next season or two seasons from now, then Texas probably would have fewer holes um, to be exposed against a team like Washington or whoever the high level opponent they would play in the college football playoff. That's what happens though. The, you know, the better opponents you play, the more they're going to expose those very few holes. That's why a, a team like Michigan has been building that roster for nine years, right? They ain't got a lot of holes on that roster. They ain't got a lot of holes. All right. They, they addressed them all. That's what kept them from, from winning the college football playoff the last two, three years because they had a few holes on their roster that just need to be addressed once they got everything tweaked and they had stacked so many cycles of talent, then they don't have holes. They got tons of talented depth. Doesn't matter if somebody gets hurt. It's not going to uh, determine their season one way or the other because they got great players, five-star players right behind those guys too. Um, and the same thing can be said of teams like Georgia, right? It, t- it took Georgia a little while just because they had to address the holes in their roster. Now, Washington was a great team this year. Washington had a ton of holes on their roster, lots of them actually. But they had such a great quarterback performance, which they didn't in that game, right, all season long. And their offense was so potent and prolific that it was able to mask a lot of the holes they had on their roster, right? They, they didn't even have a five-star player on their roster. They had more three-stars, and Texas had four-stars on their roster. It's a different type of, you know, roster construction over there overall. So it's just going to take Texas a while. I mean, it's no, no shame in that, and I'm not being critical of it. My point is actually that Texas didn't have a chance. To, to, you know, address all the different phases and all the different positions because they just haven't been here long enough. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and now I think you're starting to see them. They've tapped into like every position has been infused with young talent, but young talent has been identified specifically for their systems. Almost every position now has start guys, all right, or PK guys at, in it now. We're talking about the defensive line, defensive front. We're talking about linebacker, second level, central nervous system, safety corner. You got your guys in there now. So I think that's when they'll start now. You'll start seeing that 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 defense philosophically start looking more and more like that PK defense you were talking about. Yeah, from Washington. Even, and with better athletes even, and higher level four- yes. and five-star kind of players that uh, include Anthony Hill and Colin Simmons and Manny Muhammad and Derek Williams. When I mean, these kind of difference-maker players, that's the exciting part. For Texas and CJ, that's kind of a narrative that uh, Rod and I've talked about a lot. Uh, Longhorn fans, you know, and all fan bases do this. You watch the Michigan team and be like, damn, they're really good. Why can't we be like that? Well, it took nine years. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, Jim Harbaugh went 0 for 6 in his first uh, first six tries against Ohio State, and they wanted to run him out of the building, and he was gone. He had to take a pay cut and kind of prove himself as a Michigan man. And he got it right, uh, and here they are with, a, as he said, as Rod said, with very few holes on the roster, one of the deepest teams in college football. Georgia was the same thing for uh, each of the past two years, you know, with just – they weren't – you know, their quarterback was Stetson Bennett like J.J. McCarthy. It was just so talented, so deep, uh, you know, just so many good players. And that's where you want to get. Uh, you know, t- Texas fans and fan bases will also compare it to TCU of last year or Washington this year. And you know, they're not the same. I think if it's a fan base, CJ, or at least an observer, you're just happy where Sark has got it. I mean, as Rod is pointing out, you can build, you only feel so many things so often, but now you're number three in the country to finish the year. You won the Big 12 championship. Uh, you you couldn't be more confident about how you're entering the SEC. Go back to when the Longhorns were announced they're going to the SEC. Oh, my gosh. We're not ready for that. What are we doing? We're not ready for that. Well, now here they are heading into the SEC in 2024, and it feels like they're pretty ready to you know, not go dominate by any stretch, but they're ready to handle what's coming over the next uh, you know, 12 games of 2024. 
Yeah, that that saying of, of of comparing yourself to one another only brings brings down the happiness of everybody or whatever mm-hmm. whatever it is. I'm not a guy for euphemisms or, or, <laughs> or cliche sayings like that, but you you get what I'm saying. And yeah, for Texas fans specifically, I think it's very important to look only within because for the last 15 years, this is a place where Texas has not even been close to sniffing. Yeah, you know, you have that one Sugar Bowl win against Georgia. Uh, you, you know, you won 10 games and then what? You know, you kind of fall back down the valley. You fire another head coach. Sarkeesian comes, it's not pretty. Then you start seeing, you know, some some churning, some smoke puffing from the engine. The caboose starts moving down the tracks a little bit. <laughs> not, but, but you see, you know, the pieces start coming together to now where Texas just finished number three in the AP poll. They finished to the, the eventual runner-up in the National College Football Playoff. Right now, I, I think you mentioned it perfectly. There's no better place that you would rather have Texas when entering a brand new conference, which is considered to be by you know a pretty large margin the the, the best football conference, most competitive football conference in the entire country. So for Texas specifically, it's not one of those things that you can look around and say, How are we matching up with Auburn or with Alabama and Georgia and Michigan? It's hey, we're we're doing this pretty good, and we're doing this by the way that we want to do this. The staff has a plan, and they're figuring it out. Rod, you talked about figuring out pieces that they need to address year in and year out. One year it was edges. They got edges. This year they need secondary pieces. They went out and they got secondary pieces. Who, who could forget the offensive line and how bad that was? Yeah, it's bad. Got here. When they first got now, it, yeah. Now Texas is kind of in a conversation to be – Amongst the deepest offensive lines for 2024 for the second consecutive year, no less. Like, that's how quick of a turnaround it's been. The staff gets it. So I'm 100% there. They understand what it takes to win at the University of Texas. They understand what it's like to win at the highest level in all of college football. And now they're putting the pieces where they have to be to fit, you know, the the winning formula. And I'm, I'm all for it. I think Texas is in a great spot right now going into the SEC. and. I mean, it certainly helps having the the transfer portal and some NIL backing to help get those bridge uh, those pieces to bridge the gap from the youngsters coming in the recruit rec- recruiting classes to eventually getting on the field at you know a place like Jordan Hare or uh, Bryant Denny or or the Swamp. So I'm I'm all for it. It's going to be an exciting 2024 season ahead of us. No, you're right about that. And you know we live in a fishbowl here in Austin and uh, Central Texas. I know people on on Texas football are everywhere. But, you know, Alabama's dealing with the same issues of trying to fill holes and deal with the portal and, you know, guys to the draft and, um, you know, who's here and who's there. And you know, Georgia's dealing with the same thing. And that's the good thing. I think when we get to July and, gosh, the first ever SEC media days, the Longhorns will be picked among the top three or four teams in the big in the SEC. And, you know, I don't think we would have said that a couple of years ago, I think, is the overall thought because they were playing more along the lines of an Auburn or somebody along those lines. You know, now they're they're playing at least this year and looking forward into the upper echelon. Hey, somebody uh, put a great message and a good question out there that uh, Matthew flashed up. Will Jim Harbaugh be the coach at Michigan on September 7th of this year? Uh, I think we, I, at least Rod and I know, I have talked about this on our show, no. Uh, I'll ask you all this, and I'll even ask the audience, who will be the coach of Michigan on September 7th of 2024? Who will be on the sidelines at Michigan when Texas heads to Ann Arbor, second week of the year, is there is there a good guess? Is there a, a, a betting favorite 
Because I think we would all agree it's not going to be Jim Harbaugh, but you all can disagree. If it's not Harbaugh, look for Brian Kelly out there at LSU. Mm, That's a name to make a return back up to the Midwest. I I think that makes a lot of sense. And we talked about LSU being the big winner from the A&M firing of uh, Jimbo Fisher. What happens there? Because that was a lot of kids Texas was in in Austin. (laughs) Yeah, that's a domino that would be massive. Massive if Jim Harbaugh, which a lot of, and we do we all agree he's going to be in the NFL somewhere as of uh, the next three, four weeks? I think that's the most likely. There's just too many jobs with already too much reported interest that are are, are wanting to quote unquote break the bank and go full court press on, on, on Harbaugh. It just makes sense. Uh, You know, the Raiders, the Chargers, it, it feels like he's been linked to NFL jobs too often in the past. Plus there's no more telling, uh, how many more NCAA violations or inquiries <laughs> might pop up over the next couple of months anyway. So that's, yeah, it seems like I, I think it's time. Yeah, and plus, Rod, as we've talked about, he's 60 years old. If he inks a new mega deal with Michigan, that's probably it for him. He's going to stay at Michigan. At 60, you can kind of do the Pete Carroll thing and jump back into the NFL and uh, make a run at it. Uh, and as you said to me this morning, I thought it was really poignant. Mm-hmm. How often do you get a chance to be the man, to be the man that everyone's coming after, Rod, in in pro mm-hmm. football? you got four or five teams, four or five billionaires who want you. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's really good. Well, and he's got a chance to be a made man, right? Not many coaches can say they've won a national title and also a Super Bowl. You know, we talked about, you know, sitting at, you know, at, the, big, at the big dog's table, right? His dad has won a national title. His brother's won a Super Bowl. Um, I think it matters to him to be a made man, um, at every level of football, uh, and I think uh, he can do it. I mean, he's he's a hell of a coach. Had a chance to win the Super Bowl, and his brother is <laughs> uh, snatched it away from him. Uh, I think if he gets with the right situation, too, um, he has a really good chance to be one of the what is the three coaches now that have won a national title and a Super Bowl. I know Barry Switzer gets credit for it, but he probably shouldn't. But he's a guy <laughs> that can build a, a champion. He showed he can build a champion at Michigan. Hell, he was close to building a champion with the 49ers. And doing it with a quarterback and most of y'all hate in Colin Gabbardick and y'all say he's trash and can't play. So give him even more credit if he is indeed trash and can't play uh, that he got him damn near to a Super Bowl and almost won it with Colin Kaepernick. Uh, yeah, man, he can build. So I think he can, if he gets in the right situation, watch out, Lee, because I think you give him a five-year window, there's a good chance he'll have a team that's Super Bowl, a Super Bowl contender in that time span. Yeah, and one of the things that uh, for, for Michigan – uh, to who's going to be the coach on September 7th. Let me just give some some flowers because I'm, uh, for folks who don't know, I grew up, first eight years of my life were in Akron, Ohio, Northeast Ohio. So that mm-hmm. Michigan was always that team up north. I mean, that I wasn't allowed to say the name growing up with my dad and my parents. <laughs> no, not, uh, it was not allowed. Um, so I, it's hard for me to say good things about that school. But uh, he did a hell of a job. And when you consider that Michigan this year went 15-0, and won the national championship by 20-plus points, and uh, for the year, Rod, we talked about this this morning, committed five total offensive turnovers all That's year. Amazing. Five. That's five. Crazy. They had 45 total offensive penalties in 15 games. <laughs> and they led the – according to Pro Football Focus, they were the best tackling team in all of college football. Uh, missed the fewest tackles per, per tackle. I wow. mean, just – and that's why the NFL is coming after him. They know he can coach. They know he can develop and uh, was in a Super Bowl with the 49ers. That's as, that's as deep and as well-coached a team as we've seen. It's, you know, Georgia was similar with Kirby Smart. 
And there's also talk that Kirby Smart might be looking at the NFL. Speaking of dominoes falling, that Arthur Blank did not fire Arthur Smith to hire a to coordinator. That that's one of the I story read a great story today in the, the Atlanta paper that you know Arthur Blank, the you know Home Depot billionaire, did not fire Arthur Smith to go hire a coordinator, an up and comer. He's going to to swing big uh, for yeah. a Harbaugh or a Kirby Smart or someone that that's got skins on the wall. Trade for Belichick. You might trade for Belichick. That's mentioned too in that same story. Yeah. Belichick, uh, we're not we're not doing this to go hire, you know, Ben Johnson from the from the Lions. Nothing against him, or you know, yeah. Bobby Slowick from the Texans. We're not going with an unknown. We're going to go bring in a proven commodity. We've got a good team. We need a quarterback. We need a coach. Uh, so yes, I think there's a lot to be, you know, you know, hashed out here in the next several weeks. Keep an eye on Atlanta. Now, there's a new ownership group in Washington with the commanders. It's a billionaire that wants to make a splash. You know, obviously the, the Chargers, the Raiders, the Raiders have Tom Brady as a part owner of that team that is a Michigan man himself now. Uh, he would like to uh, to probably bring Jim Harbaugh to the Vegas, which would be sexy. So, yeah, a lot to look at. The Bears right there, not, down, not far away with all that draft capital and uh, the ability to trade Justin Fields for more. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, college football into the pros. It's going to be fascinating. I'll say this, Rod. Who do you think will be the coach at Ann Arbor on September the 7th? Do you have a guess? Uh, my friend Mike Craven at Dave Campbell's Texas Football told me today he thinks it's going to be Sharon Moore, the offensive coordinator, who he thinks Mike that, that Jim Harbaugh is going to lobby for. He was the coach who stepped in when Harbaugh was suspended for six games this year and won all six. Is there a chance that they could just promote from within and try to keep the continuity, or do you think they go big picture like Brian Kelly? And this yeah, matters because Longer are going to play at Ann Arbor in in about eight months. I'll just say it won't be it won't be Jim Harbaugh. I, I, I'll <laughs> say that with with some certainty. It won't be him. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, that's a great point. I mean, that if that job comes open, Brian Kelly's going to be considered. But I mean, they they're going to swing for the fences, and why wouldn't they? I mean, they could they could definitely poach a, a big time coach. We saw USC do it. Uh, they got that kind of brand power and recognition where. Man, if you, every 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 big time college football program with a good coach should be looking looking at the buyout clause when if Michigan comes open because yeah. they, they because they got that kind of power as a brand. Yeah. Winning this program by wins total all time now a national championship, uh, their first outright championship since the late '40s. But uh, they bring it home and Kalen um, DeBoer is a name too that was mentioned. Yeah, Kalen DeBoer out of Washington. Obviously, they just beat them in the Natty, but he's a riser who's a young coach who could come in and be a part of that. Hey, guys, great stuff. Uh, Matt, any other questions anybody has on a, on a chat or a super chat? We appreciate getting them. It says, uh, so when is Texas going to block the state and stop Ohio State from needing to come in and take top talent? I appreciate that uh, super chat right there, guys. Uh, CJ, I mean, I'll just say this, and then you guys can answer. You only get 25 a year. So in Texas has 400-plus you know, D1 prospects a year, so you can't get them all. Uh, am I right about that or wrong about that? Absolutely. I, I do think the Ryan Day well in Texas is drying up just a little bit. Might not look at it, look like that with the uh, recent addition of Devin Sanchez. But I would actually be a little bit surprised if that one stuck all the way through signing day next year uh, up until December. There's a long way to go. Obviously, a lot of noise right now with Ryan Day not having, you know, necessarily toppled his biggest rival since taking over. Uh, the head coaching job at Ohio State. I don't know if this will be his last year, but if Michigan does move co or move on from – if Jim Harbaugh does leave Michigan, 
and Michigan still finds a way to beat Ohio State, look for that seat to get mighty hot, mighty fast this year because there's a, a lot of unhappy campers right now up there in, in Columbus. So I, I don't well, know just how much of a footprint Ryan Day will have in Texas moving forward, but I do know with the recent success that Ohio State has had on the national on the national stage, it's going to be tough. I mean, they're going to have their hands and in, in, in the cookie jars and just in every state, you know, that produces talent in the country. Yeah, there's no more. Uh, th- there's no more Mac Brown where he seriously. Mac Brown was the last coach to rule the Iron Throne, as I call it, where you, he got all <laughs> the top talent in the state of Texas, and everybody else just got their leftovers. And that he he pretty much ruled the Iron Throne. He did it for a long time. And when Mac lost power was when Mac lost the ability to walk into a living room and say, Texas is the best football program in the state. Period. We win the more, we win the most games. We got the best talent. We got the best facilities. And at one point he couldn't say that. He couldn't say we're the best football program in the state. Texas lost that ability. And when he lost that ability to walk into a living room and say that, and other programs could say it like Baylor's or the, that uh, U of H could say it for God's sakes. You know, you had, you had when that happened, that's when everything kind of went off the rails. And Mac, he lost the Iron Throne. And when he lost the Iron Throne, all of these different uh, te- programs in the state of Texas, they had the ability to compete. Remember, Texas never used to get in competing uh, recruiting battles with Baylor's and TCU's, never. But they started to at one point. And I don't think, I don't think any coach will ever rule the Iron Throne of Texas again where they can dominate the recruiting and everybody else gets their leftovers. Cause now you have too many schools who have influence in the state, especially through the SEC. All right. Cause that gates wide open right through H town, right through Southeast Texas. Boom. It just, there's nothing you can do about it. And as CJ mentioned, Ohio state's brand is too big. Even when I was Marcus Freeman, watch out for Notre Dame. My best friend from high school, Jerome Sapp went to Notre Dame out of Houston Lamar the year that I came out and Notre Dame hadn't had as much influence in the state since then. And I've been talking, I talked to Notre Dame insiders two years ago who told me uh, when Marcus Freeman first took over a couple years ago and said, no, 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 he's coming to Texas. He's coming to Texas. And what has he done? He's come to Texas. So you're yeah. never going to stop that again. Sark is, I think Sark understands there, there are several pockets that you have to have market share of in Texas. Dallas DFW because no metro area produces more NFL draftable talent than the DFW except for Atlanta's metro area, right? DFW is number two in the country. Um, Houston's also in the top six or seven best metro areas producing NFL talent. You got to have market share in those two areas. Central Texas is your backyard. You better have market share there. All right. And then I like what Sark said. We treat East Texas, Beast Texas. We treat that just like, hey, that's a corridor right on to Louisiana. We just treat it like one big old region and we just recruit the hell out of it. And you should, because Louisiana is per capita, always top five producing NFL players per uh, per capita. So I think that's where you got you start because you'll never be able to wall off the state again. Mac did it and RC did it, him and they did it for a little while, but that was about it. Not in modern recruiting. It's too nationalized now. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, A&M moving to the SEC certainly opened the, opened the floodgates mm-hmm. a little bit for the SEC to get into Texas and, yeah, again, there's 450 D1 prospects in the state of Texas every year, and it grows as we add new five and six A high schools all over the state. It just grows, and you can't—you only get 25 a cycle. You can't keep them all. And uh, I think Rod just said it right, and CJ did too. You—you you recruit the pockets. You get South Dallas. You get the, the the five stars, the key guys, and you know Houston needs to grow East Texas, and then you, as they have not been shy to do, recruit the West Coast, recruit deep South. 
and get into the SEC and uh, get after it. Good stuff right there, guys, without a doubt. We'll, uh, we'll pick this up, of course, tomorrow morning with coffee and football and on Texas football. Rod and I will certainly do five hours of conversation on hornfm.com as we crank this up and, uh, and I'll look forward to, uh, to a lot of Texas football talk, the latest on these portal players, uh, the wide receiver from Oregon State, um, you know, the, the wide receiver from Liberty is in the play and CJ Daniels, Houston's defensive tackle, the linebacker from Alabama will be covering it here on, on Texas football. Let me remind you one more time that tonight's live stream was brought to you by energy, Texas energy, Texas is for Texans, uh, and by Texans here in the great state. When you call and get a deal with, uh, with energy, Texas, which you should do, you're not calling out of the state overseas. You're dealing with Texans. They're proud to be from the greatest state in the union and prouder to be fighting for the little guy against big power. It's energy. Texas. Hey guys, good stuff right there. Happy Tuesday to y'all and everybody out there. Happy New Year. It's my first conversation with y'all since the actual in-game watch on uh, New Year's night. So thanks to everybody who tuned into that and tuned in tonight. Appreciate it. Rod, uh, get some rest. Uh, yes, give sir. a hug to baby Monroe. CJ, you do the same. Great stuff as always. Thanks to everybody. Thank you to Matthew uh, running this whole operation as smoothly as possible and uh, as silk as a matter of fact. Uh, and everybody have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow morning with coffee and football and on Texas football. Hook them guys. Hook them. Y'all have a good one.